I'm Scott Paul, and this is the Manufacturing Report. For us, it's a matter of pride in that we want to keep people that are in America, we want to keep them employed, and we want to support our own country. Holiday shopping season is in full gear now, and buyers have tens of thousands of choices to make in the days ahead. Now, we get asked a lot, can I find any gift that's made in America? And the answer is a resounding, yes, you can. Today on The Manufacturing Report, I'll sit down with the owner of Uncle Goose, which makes wooden blocks in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And later on, I'll speak with the owners of Hampshire Pewter, a company that's preserving an artisan tradition brought over from England. First, my conversation with Pete Boltman of Uncle Goose. That's coming up next on The Manufacturing Report. I'm honored to be joined on the podcast by Pete Boltman. He heads up Uncle Goose, which is an amazing company based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They make wooden playing blocks with considerable amount of care and attention. Pete, I wanted to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So this is probably a busy time for you. We're recording this in the middle of the holiday shopping season. Um, And I imagine that's when a few of your orders might come in. Am I right about that? Yeah. While we're doing this interview, I have the shop floor quiet. (laughs) (laughs) The the embossing press that... uh, that we use to emboss the blocks is kind of loud. So I, I had to come in this morning and tell them from 11 to 1130, don't, don't do anything out there because we are busy. So we're actually shutting down toy making so that I can do this. Well, we'll get you back at it as soon as we can, yeah. because there, yeah, we yeah. know there's a lot of eager customers uh, for, yeah. for you. So, so can you share with our listeners a bit of the background about how uncle goose came to be? Yeah. It's a it's kind of a weird thing. I I still can't fully get my mind around the fact that I that we do this. My dad had this crazy idea. He was sort of dissatisfied where he was working and he sort of stumbled on to making blocks. That sort of changed my life. It was back when I was 13. He quit his job and all of a sudden he was making blocks. I was a bit embarrassed about it back then as a kid, but it sort of infused everybody in my family sort of steeped in it. So it's an odd thing, but he he started it back in 1983 and I never thought I'd be really in the business. I don't think any kid does necessarily. So I went off to school, I got my degree in engineering, and my father had passed away in 92 as I was finishing my degree, and that sort of cemented the direction that I was going to head in for the rest of my life. And as soon as my brother and I took the helm of the business, we started to do all the things that I think we wanted to do that my dad was either reluctant to do, and we grew the business uh, quite quickly, and it was trial by fire as it usually is with a small business trying to do everything here. It would have probably been a lot easier just to to have designs made overseas, but we, we wanted to control the quality and we wanted to get our hands dirty, so to speak, making product and making sure that it was it's a point of pride. So we want to make the highest quality product that we can. And the only way to really do that is to have complete control over the process. Sure. Sure. And and I imagine that is part of what sets you apart from some of the other entrants in the market. The fact that you 
Uh, take great care about the inks you use on these blocks, because if they're anything like my kids were when they were younger, they'd be chewed on um, and and, yes. li- and licked to death. And also the, the the fact that you've kept the manufacturing close to home. As you said, you, you shut down the factory floor so that you could do this interview. But if you're one of the larger companies that has the global presence, you have to confront language barriers and also time differences and quality control issues and lots of toxic stuff that you don't have. And, and I, I guess I wanted to ask, uh, my hope is that both your employees and your customers have some appreciation for that. Do you see that? Oh, absolutely. We have an Instagram feed and people will hashtag us in their posts. And there's been maybe a half dozen really wonderful posts lately. We get a lot of love for what we do. And I, I think that's sort of indicative of putting a lot of love into what you do. <laughs> it, it shows, and I think people are appreciative of the fact that we do take care. We, we have always tested product. We always want to make sure that it's safe. We make a natural product out of wood. Wood doesn't necessarily always behave like a steel or a glass product would. So there's a lot of artistry that goes into it. There's the science aspect of it, but for the most part, it's all hands on deck. We touch these things eight, nine times through the process, and we have a pair of eyes on them at every stage. So when we're printing them, when we're cutting them, when we're embossing them, when we're applying the, the color on the embossed side, when we're packing them, we're sanding them, we're, we're doing all those things that would be a lot easier to do somewhere else, but we're doing it here, and we're doing it because we do it really well. And over the years, we've sort of honed it down to a wonderful little system. That's fantastic. I do want to ask, because obviously there were a herd of toy makers and others who went overseas. And I imagine it's got to be kind of difficult because you're paying a fraction of the wages in China. You don't have the environmental regulations. You have the government intervening to help you. What what keeps you guys going, I guess? Because you do, you do none of that. What keeps us going is a, a desire on my part to make sure that we're producing, you know, quality items for kids, manipulatives, educational products, something that if you see the letters that I get from our customers, they're about the fact that these products are saved and cherished because moms and dads played with them with their kids. I, I got one 10 years ago from an elderly woman who said that she found a set of blocks that we had made in her attic, and it brought back all the memories of her playing with her kids who had just gone to college. And it it, it's, it sort of struck me uh, as being this, like, this weird thing. We make this product, and I I guess I've never really understood why, but there's definitely a lot of love for this product, (laughs) you know, alphabet blocks of all things. We make a ton of alphabet blocks every year, and every year I think, geez, have we saturated the market? And we continue to do more and more every year, so we must be doing something right. I'd say. So I want to point out to our listeners that on your website, unclegoose.com, it mentions that you ship to six of the seven continents in the world. Um, yeah. Imagine the scientific stations in Antarctica don't need many of these. Um, yeah. So I, 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 you, I think you've nailed all of the important ones. You have 62 different sets, 23 languages. Um, and you mentioned some are arcane. So what, what is one of the arcane languages that you might feature on the blocks, Pete? 
Well, we did Cherokee. We had somebody from the Cherokee Nation reach out. Uh, it's one of the only only Native American languages that's actually a, a written language. Wow. And we had the Navajo Code Talkers because it wasn't a written language. It was such a, an amazing thing to use in World War II. We, we simply couldn't make blocks out of that. So we had somebody from the Cherokee Nation come and help me develop a set. And then I had a big fascination with the, the local tribe in New Zealand called the Maori. And we did a set of Maori blocks, which is sort of South Pacific. There's that language group is all very similar there when you get into Fiji and Tahiti and Hawaii and just they were sort of near and dear to my heart these kinds of things and and uh, I'll be struck by really odd things at certain times I'll I'll read about something and it will give me some sort of inspiration to let's do something crazy kind of a thing you know and there's uh, we do sell a lot around the world we sell a lot of Maori blocks in New Zealand and Cherokee blocks don't sell great but when somebody stumbles on the fact that we do that or Dutch or Polish or Swedish or, you know, any of the other languages that we do, they, they sort of get tickled by the fact we would deign to create alphabets in, in those foreign languages. Absolutely. I would expect nothing less. It's got what a conversation piece, too. That's a it's a, it's a fascinating, yeah. fascinating story. It, it gets difficult. I speak Spanish poorly. And other than that, I don't speak any other languages. So it, it gets difficult at times to manage the dialects and the differences. Hindi does not cover India completely. There's Urdu and 15 other languages. And we always get asked to do these languages. And it's becomes very, very difficult sure. for us. So, sure. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. What an amazing challenge. And the fact that you've been willing to make these in 23 different languages with an amazing assortment of characters is fantastic. So one thing about Grand Rapids that I know just from the manufacturing world is that it was a hotbed and still is of furniture making. And, you know, a more recent entry is the craft brewing. And I think it's known a little bit for that. Do you think that you know, even in this strange kind of digital economy that we have now in the 21st century, that there is still some manufacturing and some making DNA left in places like Grand Rapids? Absolutely. Grand Rapids is kind of a hotbed of that. There's a lot of DIYers here. I remember what was probably 15, 20 years ago, my corrugated guy would talk to me about the guys from Founders Brewing here in Grand Rapids when it was just this tiny little place. It's fun to watch industries spring up, and it does tend to happen in places like Grand Rapids where there's this sort of confluence of know-how, either from tooling to hire, from woodworking, or just, just the various things. But in general, there's, there's a lot of people with a lot of know-how here, so it's kind of fun to be here. I think in a way that we're seeing this next wave of manufacturing, it'll look a lot different than obviously it did in the 50s or the 60s, but it's something to be excited about. And I'm I'm glad that you're a big part of it. Pete, I wanted to ask you before we go, in addition to your website, UncleGoose.com, are there other places where our listeners can find your products? Invariably, hopefully, 
there's a small mon store near them. They're few and far between to some degree because there have been a lot of e-tail going on, uh, Amazon primarily. You can find our products on Amazon. I guess I would prefer that you seek out the independent retailers around the country that, that carry the product as well. They're the ones that have to put the money down for rent and utilities and pay people. And we're excited that it still exists and people show our product and that's where we like to be. Couldn't agree with you more. Pete Boltman of Uncle Goose, thank you for spending a few minutes with us on the manufacturing report. And I'll let you guys get back to work because I know you have a lot of orders to fill. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll start the presses again. Thanks much. Thank you. Kathy and Harold Guptel entered the pewter business ready to master the art of hand casting, learning from the veteran employees of Hampshire Pewter in Summersworth, New Hampshire. Now the Guptels, who own and operate Hampshire Pewter, are teaching the next generation. My conversation with Kathy and Harold next. I'm honored to be joined on the podcast by Kathy and Harold Guptel. They are the owners of Hampshire Pewter, which is featured in the Alliance for American Manufacturing's 2018 Holiday Gift Guide. It is a pleasure to speak with you today, Kathy and Harold. Thank you. Pleasure to speak with you. Great. So uh, Pewter is something that I think a lot of people identify with keepsakes, you know, with American heritage. I often think of baptisms or christenings or ornaments and other types of, of collectibles or commemoratives. And I'm just curious as to how you launched a pewter business, which I understand you took this over in 2005, uh, in the 21st century, which most people associate with, you know, iPhones and bits and bytes and not this type of metal crafting, which I think uh, New England is well known for. Kathy, do you care to share some of the origination story of Hampshire Pewter? We um, decided my husband's company was moving to Thailand. He was going to be done with with work. Um, And we decided that we'd look into um, purchasing some sort of business and, and going into business for ourselves. And this is the business we kind of stumbled upon. And looking at it, we realized what a craft it really was. It's not something that is mass manufactured. Each piece is done by hand. And it was very intriguing to us. Harold can probably tell you more about how the whole thing goes, but that was the part that I enjoyed. So Harold, you obviously were coming off of a transition How did you feel, I guess, about taking over a business like this, particularly because I I imagine there was a little bit of financial risk involved? Yeah, I I think when we sort of looked at this, what our goals were was to have a company where we could make something and essentially sell it. That was kind of like our big thing. So So we were looking for, obviously, a small type of manufacturing type thing. And then when we sort of stumbled upon this company, as Kathy said, one of the things that we saw was was a real craft that was involved in making this, and there was a, a well-established customer base, people that keep uh, coming back year after year to buy you know, the Christmas ornaments or even any of their keepsake-type gifting that they do for babies and new homes, these kind of things. So it was really, that's kind of, it really intrigued us on that. And, and just the idea that we had talked about owning our own business someday anyway, and then when our when this company was moving to Thailand, it sort of gave us the, 
the foundation for that to make that move. That sounds really interesting. And so I have to ask you, uh, how much, if anything, did you know about pewter crafting prior to acquiring the business in 2005? Yeah, so essentially nothing. Uh, we had, <laughs> I had, and uh, I had been done some woodworking type things or you know crafting items like that in the past, but in terms of metalworking. We essentially had no experience, yes. And so, Kathy, I imagine that you probably depended a lot on some of the existing workforce that was there. Was there a workforce, a legacy workforce, that was left uh, at Hampshire Pewter? Yeah, there was. Out out in the foundry, there was a a staff of three or four people that had been there. One was a master pewter smith who had been there for 20-something years. So he was well worth having, and he taught my husband a lot and develop the skill himself. So it was nice to have those people to rely on as far as how it's made. Yeah, so a, a pewter uh, craftsman. I'm just curious cause, because I imagine there's not a lot of technical capacity through either community colleges or high schools to develop the next generation of crafters. Have, have you thought about that uh, and, and how you can engage others to be interested in uh, working with pewter, particularly if your workforce ends up cycling out in the future? Yeah, so our current most experienced gentleman has been with us for five years, and he is just turned 30 years old. So he's all well on his way to sort of being a master at this job. We have a couple of other employees, and they're, you know, they're, they're, I guess their age range at the moment uh, is from 18 to 40. So we're, we've got a pretty good staff of, of folks that can continue this business you know, well into the future. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great to hear because I know a, a lot of small manufacturers in particular, once they lose that master toolmaker, you know, it's hard for them to replace that. It sounds like you all have created a, a fantastic pipeline of, of talent that will serve you well. Um, another question is that, you know, so you start in 2005. I imagine there might have been some, some growing pains. Then our country goes into a pretty deep recession. How have you all fared? What's the arc been from 2005 to today for Hampshire Pewter? Yeah, so we so we lost, uh, essentially, say 2008 was a high point for us in terms of revenue. And from 2008 through the, you know, through the first two or three years of the recession, we, we did lose about 50% of our business. Wow. Yeah. And, and then, um, and then, so from 2015, 16, 17, we've been growing steadily since that point. But we, we, and over the course of eight years, we lost about 50%. There's been a lot of stressful nights, a lot of long conversations, but I don't think we've ever been ready to throw in the towel. We've just pull up our bootstraps and figure out how to keep moving forward with it and, and do what we can to rebuild the business. Yeah, and, and here you are today uh, with a lot of pretty amazing offerings, I saw. And I, I imagine the holiday season, Christmas season, is a pretty busy one for you. How much of your sales come during Christmas time? I would say probably at least 50% of our revenue is in the fourth quarter. And I would say most of that is between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So the season really does make a difference for you. Obviously, you've located in a small town in New Hampshire. You have roots there. What does locally made or made in America mean both to you and also, I guess, to your customer base as well? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, a very significant thing, and I think that's partly what we're, over the last couple of years, the reason that we're growing again is because there seems to be a renewed energy for Made in America product. And for us personally, we do it with a lot of pride. We've never even contemplated trying to make things outside of the U.S. I mean, and we could because we have some volume. We do have, you know, our Christmas orders, we sell somewhere around fifteen to 20,000 of them every year. So we do have quite a bit of, you know, ornaments, but but for us, it's a matter of pride in that we want to keep people that are in America, we want to keep them employed, and we want to support our own country. That's fantastic to hear. And it's certainly something that when people are looking to make purchases that have some additional meaning, it seems like it would be a real value added for Hampshire Pewter. Kathy, I wanted to ask you, for most of our listeners who will know probably next to nothing about the the process of, of crafting pewter. Uh, what's something that might be surprising about that to someone who's unfamiliar with this type of manufacturing? I think the most surprising and unique thing is that each piece is individual. Even though we do our ornaments in like a centrifugal mold and you get several of them, each one is hand-finished, which means it goes through a, a deburn and a buffing process. It's hand-wiped, hand-ribboned and bagged. Box. Everything's done individually for each piece that we make. Other pieces, like the baby cups or the candlesticks, each piece is cast individually, some in more than one piece and soldered together. So it's, it's very unique to know that each piece was handled. It wasn't just coming off of a production-type line. And that's quite meaningful, I think, for a lot of consumers to have that kind of a connection with either a collectible or an ornament or some keepsake that that they may be purchasing. Harold, what is the best seller that you offer at Hampshire Pewter? Without a doubt, hands down, our Christmas ornaments. Those are our best sellers. And then from there, it goes into baby products like baby cups, baby spoons, porringers, and into home products like oil lamps, hurricane oil lamps, these kind of things. Oh, that's great. So that's a, I guess it's not surprising based on your revenue model and what you said about your purchases that a Christmas ornament would be super popular. But it sounds like that when, when people are, are looking to celebrate an occasion or to commemorate it, that they, they often uh, turn to you. And I have to say, the whole idea of pewter crafting in New Hampshire evokes to me this warm fireplace, some snow falling outside, and uh, and I guess a few sparks flying as well. But it's just this very nostalgic kind of connection with, with our country that goes back centuries. I'm, I'm just curious, wh- what is the history of the existing facility to the extent that you know it? Because uh, I know you acquired it in 2005. But I guess how long had it been operating, to your knowledge? So Hampshire Pewter was originally started in 1974, and it was originally started by a lady from England. Uh, She had relocated here, and one of the things she had noticed when she was here was that there wasn't a lot of pewter crafters, at least in New England, that were doing it the way that they were doing it in England, which is um, by hand-casting methods. And so she actually went back to England and brought over her nephew and a friend of his. And then at a garage someplace in Wolfboro, New Hampshire, they started made the first couple of molds um, out of bronze. 
and then they started casting them uh, in pewter and sort of returning that real heritage of hand-cast pewter to New England, and we're actually hold a unique spot in that we're the only ones even in North America today that hand-cast pewter as opposed to um, another method called spinning. Oh, very interesting. And so your method is, uh, is incredibly authentic as well. I think that speaks volumes about the commitment you have both to the craft and to the history of this type of manufacturing in, in pewter. So, Kathy, a final question. Where can our listeners find out more information about about Hampshire Pewter and some of the products that you offer? The best place to look would be our website, which is www.hampshirepewter.com. We have an 800 number listed there. We have a couple retail shops. And then they can check their local areas. We do have several wholesale customers throughout the country that also carry bits and pieces of our line. Oh, that's great. So I imagine these would be kind of keepsake or holiday theme stores around? A lot of them are sort of small country store type settings. Oh, interesting. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, like there's a, there's a country store in North Conway and on the way to North Conway in New Hampshire. There's one, a couple of them in um, in Concord that they're uh, like they're, they're specialized in handcrafted items that, w- that were offered in and... Um, so it's mostly those kind of shops. Well, that's great. I'm imagining a lot of people looking at the fall colors, stopping by a store and picking up one of your products, I think. <laughs> so th- that's fantastic. Uh, I wanted to thank you because I know it's a busy time for you, Kathy and Harold, for spending a few minutes with us. We were honored to feature you in our holiday gift guide for 2018 and uh, want to wish you the best this season, both in terms of uh, having a great holiday and having lots of sales. Yeah, well, well thank you very much. We're, we're very honored too. And like we said earlier, we're we're, you know, we're really proud of the heritage that Hampshire Pewter has. We're, we're, you know, we're over 40 years in business and the heritage that we have back to England. And, you know, we're really, really pleased to just continue that sort of American pride and made in America type products. Thanks much and happy holidays. You too. Merry Christmas. And that will do it for the Manufacturing Report this week. You can learn more about Uncle Goose at UncleGoose.com and Hampshire Pewter at HampshirePewter.com. And I imagine if you're in one of those towns that has a main street and a country store, you might find their products there as well. And if you still have some holiday shopping to do, be sure to check out AAM's 2018 Holiday Gift Guide and our directory of even more great Made in America products on our website at AmericanManufacturing.org. Please note that our gift guide and directory are intended to highlight companies that support American jobs and make great products in the U.S. We rely on the companies listed to provide accurate information regarding their domestic operations and their products. Each company is individually responsible for labeling and advertising their products according to applicable standards, such as the Federal Trade Commission's Made in USA standard or California's Made in USA labeling law. We do not review individual products for compliance or claim that because a company is listed in our guides that their products comply with specific labeling or advertising standards. Our focus is on supporting companies that create American jobs. As always, I want to thank AAM staff and Kat Adams in particular for their work to make this episode possible, and for you, the listeners, for engaging and giving us great episode ideas. You can find us online at AmericanManufacturing.org, on Facebook, or you can connect with us on Twitter at KeepItMadeInUSA. 
I'm Scott Paul, and until next time, together we can keep it made in America.